Yeah, the best the best books for me or the best short stories for me is when I'm writing and something comes out of my fingers and I hold I go, holy cow, that's the killer. <laughs> and that's what happened with this book. I had no idea who the killer was until the end. sophisticated creatives. So far I'm still JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. I have a poll going on whether I should change the name or not. Um, thinking about branding and uh, making it easier to remember the name. Ozzy's with me. Fingers crossed. Okay, this is episode 64, season 2, and um, just letting you know, Amazon has contacted me. Actually, a real person, not just like this 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 robot type thing. Real person contacted me um, from their podcasting department. They sent me a promo and a voice kit and another other information about how I can get this podcast on Alexa, and that has always been a dream of mine. Of <laughs> I've always just envisioned someone driving in the car going, Alexa, play me JCV Art Studio from the dressing room. That is so my dream. Okay, <laughs> that is so my dream. So I'm going to look into this and fingers crossed. Um, I Like they want to have me on their Amazon music. So fingers crossed. Once I read everything that's been sent, get this podcast up, up on Amazon music. So anyways, um, a couple of other things with me. I'm trying to make the best mocha possible. I've been making mochas from home. I'm open to any tips people may have. Um, I have a frother. I have a steamer. I'm doing okay, but they're not quite like the ones I used to buy. So I'm open to any tips about how to make the best mocha. So today, today we have multi-published author and Ellery Queen author, Karen L. Abramson, back in the dressing room. On Karen's website, I love these words, the visitor is greeted with, writing at the dangerous ends of the earth, the various incarnations of Karen L. Abramson. Karen writes mystery, fantasy, and romance. I'm sure there's another genre in there she writes that I, I probably haven't included. She is also a prolific short story author, and her stories have appeared in numerous anthologies. Karen has worked as a special constable, a correctional officer, 
a probation officer and ESL instructor. She has traveled to East and West Africa, Burma, China, Northern India, and Peru. Karen and I are going to talk about her latest novel, Beneath Malabar Nets. Karen, welcome back. Thank you so much, Joanna, and hi to everybody who's listening. Aww. It's so great to be back. Good, good. <laughs> so I saw a Facebook post. You've just finished an art crawl. What, what was that all about? Well, um, here on the Sunshine Coast, every year they, well, except COVID year, um, they do uh, the Sunshine Coast Art Crawl, which is um, where all of the artists uh, who, or most of the artists or many of the artists who live on the Sunshine Coast open their studios to sell their artwork. So you have everything from jewelry to weaving to metalwork to photography to painting to pottery, etc. It's an amazing opportunity to come and, and visit uh, with artists in their own homes. And um, this year, um, two other photographers and myself um, had a venue at the Art Crawl for our photography. So it was it was wonderful. It was a really neat experience. We were run off our feet on the, we, it was steady the first day, the third day, or the second day, it was very, very busy. Um, the third day there was a big storm and the power went out so it wasn't, it wasn't a wasn't much in the way of business on the on the third day but yes it was a great learning experience i would do it again i'm looking forward to next year excellent yeah. excellent yeah. all right so your book thinking of art i absolutely love the cover Thank and you. i it is like, I'm going to say it, it is hot. You look at that and you're like, it just, to me, speaks danger. Okay. And I was wondering, that cover, was that one of your photos? It was, actually. Yeah. It was taken um, at the location early one morning in Kochi, India. Um, I love going places and being inspired both visually and creatively with uh, story, you know, for stories. And uh, the nets are just there's such an anachronism that um and they're so picturesque yeah. Uh, yeah yeah so that's what's on the front is a is a malabar or a chinese fishing net which is yeah cool okay yeah. cool well it'll be neat to have that as part of the podcast art so yeah. uh great yes. um now this is the second novel right in the phoebe clay series mm -hmm. so besides the location was there anything noticeably noticeably different in writing book two in this series? Um, for instance, how you approached it, the storylines, the character, the plotting, anything different from writing the first one? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm not a plotter, so <laughs> there wasn't a lot of plotting. It just sort of comes out the fingertips, but uh, we can talk about that that later. Um, perhaps the biggest difference is that I think Phoebe's a little less haunted by the school shooting than she was in book one. Um, the, the school shooting that she survived, the residual effects are still there, I think, yeah. but, um, 
so in this book, I really tried to bring forward the relationship that she has with her family. So with her sister, Becca, and of course, Alice, who was in book one. Um, so there's more drama there. There's more conflict. Um, you and I were saying off the outside of the podcast that, uh, um, yeah, I mean, we've got Becca who's there on a family vacation with her daughter and trying to protect her daughter. And you've got Phoebe perhaps doing things that aren't exactly what a person who's trying to protect her daughter would want to have done. Um, so yeah, so there's conflict, um, with this book, um, as opposed to the first book I mean we learned who the victim was fairly quickly in book one but in this one before I ever started to write I knew who the victim was because uh, I had been on a trip to Kochi and I happened to have a tour guide that let me just say that it was very satisfying killing guide in this book that's what they say don't tick off a writer exactly exactly um, but I also want to explore some of the same themes that I explored in Through Dark Water, and you probably picked up on some of that, uh, some of the environmental issues and so on. Um, but it was a different experience writing this book because I had both Phoebe and, and her sister Becca there in my head, and there was a lot of arguing going on in my head um, so that impacted the plotting as I went along. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, so people, who, if they haven't read the book yet this takes place in malabar and where is malabar and like it it's obviously it's a place you've been before yes yes so it um it takes place in india uh Mal the malabar coast uh, you know it's funny because years ago i watched a passage to india yeah. And the movie, A Passage to India, and the woman is taken up to the Malabar Hills. And I've always been interested in where are the Malabar Hills? And I could never find the Malabar Hills. I still haven't found the Malabar Hills, but the Malabar Coast is the southwestern coast of India. Okay. Um, and it stretches through the states of Kerala and Karnataka, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And um, it, it, consists of the western ghats of india which are high uh, or high sort of plateau mountains and cliffs um, that really have by and large jungle over them um, and then lowlands that have a lot of rice um, rice growing and some beautiful backwater areas that are all you know boat routes all through swamp area that have rice fields in the middle and absolutely gorgeous yeah. and then the coastal area which is beaches and cliffs with beaches at the bottom and this sort of thing um, so it's a really biodiverse area and it's a very culturally rich area too with a long long history um, you know the Chinese visited there and what well before Columbus yeah. so 1300s and uh, brought the nets that, okay, became, yeah. that are the Chinese nets. So the story actually takes place in in Kochi, which was one of the uh, uh, the chief ports along the Malabar coast. Okay, okay. Yeah. Now, like that's what I find is from page one, you are in this totally different environment. It's great. And the location as you're reading it sounds exotic. And on the first page, you mentioned that the air is hot and humid, and you use the word sultry. And 
just your thoughts, like your thoughts about that, because I was, I was, I was in a totally different place. I may, I may have been reading it in my home, but I was in a totally different place. And I kept thinking hot and dusty, right? Hot, dusty, and sticky. (laughs) (laughs) It's the, is the kind of heat and humidity that you start sweating is very easily. Um, it's not the worst place for humidity I've ever been because there's ocean breezes. Okay. So the worst place I've ever been for humidity was Myanmar, uh, Yangon, because uh, it's very, you're on the Andaman Sea and it just sits there like lead and weight. And you get up and you start sweating. You have a shower, you sweat through the shower you get out of the shower, you're still sweating, this sort of thing. So this was hot and sticky if you started to do anything physical. Um, But, and it was the kind of place that, you know, in India, I always try and travel with uh, short sleeves and and, uh, long pants. And I did wear long pants, but I finally broke down and bought sleeveless shirts that were a really light woven Indian cotton because it was just too hot for any sort of, cotton like t-shirts or anything like that because everything just sticks to you okay okay Um, yeah so um you mentioned a little bit before how phoebe's ghosts aren't haunting her you know from the high school incident from before Mm -hmm. um so where abouts are we in the timeline with respect to phoebe from the this first is um, maybe a you know six months to a year after mm-hmm. after the Johnson Strait story um, through dark water. Okay. Um, so there's there's been time there was time to recover because I mean it was a pretty horrendous journey through that through dark water, yeah. um, and she still has the trauma of of that and the school shooting to deal with. Um, so this story sort of arose from the idea that, uh, at the end of Through Dark Water, um, she was thinking about going off traveling and just, yeah. you know, sort of, um, escaping all of the things that she had to just give herself space, um, to fully recover. And, uh, so she was talking about going to, to Myanmar, to Burma, and her sister didn't want her to go alone because she was worried about her and so suggested a family trip. And so that's what they did. If you'd like, um, I'm just going to turn my video off so we don't lose any connection. But if you'd like to do a minute or two reading from beneath Malabar Nets. Okay, I, I do have a little section selected here. Okay. Uh, this is just after the victim has been discovered and um, Phoebe is there and the police are there um, and she's dealing with a detective that she has just met. The detective said something to one of the uniformed officers and the officer climbed over the side of the net and with the help of a rope held by the fisherman slid down the sloping side of the net to the dripping mess at the bottom. There he bounced precariously and gingerly dug through the smelly debris. By his face, it was disgusting and probably something he would harbor against Detective Matthias for the rest of his career. When he'd been down there 10 minutes and had fished through the seaweed bottles and mud, he stood and shook his head. Interesting, Matthias said. The water probably took it. Or he could have lost it in the struggle Phoebe offered. He glanced at her sharply. Struggle? 
His gaze pinned her like a fly and she found herself defensive. You said, you said his hands indicated a fight. No, it was you who suggested a fight when I asked what could have caused the injuries to his hands. He cocked a brow at her. There are other things than a struggle that could have led to such injuries and the one to his head. He could have fallen and the scrapes were from attempts to help himself before he hit his head. I will await the pathologist's report for, before coming to conclusions. It was true and it felt like all the blood had drained from her head and her legs were unsteady. Or maybe it was the boards under her feet that now felt like quicksand. Had she just incriminated herself? Those horror stories she'd heard included tourists being imprisoned on trumped up evidence. She snapped her mouth shut, closed and said nothing more, instead watching the slow climb of the officer up the side of the net as his now filthy shoes kept slipping out from under him. It would have been humorous except for the situation. When the officer reached the platform, he tried to brush himself off and succeeded only in smearing the mud and seaweed on his clothes. Matthias waved him off and turned to Phoebe. Ms. Clay, you will accompany to the police station to answer my questions. Okay. Oh. Okay, yeah, and I, I have a question about oh, Phoebe in dealing with police and being in another country. That's a whole, yeah, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Is that the right saying? I always, I'm getting my sayings wrong. I'm getting, <laughs> that's another kettle <laughs> of fish, right? But yeah. yeah, with the opening scene and when they arrive on the train and their guide wants to get them to the hotel, you you talk about the people, the brightness of their clothes, and you write, a few bright turbans in gold or red or cobalt blue. That was the thing about India. Too many colors, too much noise, and the stench of diesel that seemed permanent, permanently imprinted at the back of her tongue so that she felt like she'd spent the tour so far on sensory overload. She craned to see and spotted a blonde head near a kiosk that, by the steam and hot oil smoke, looked to be selling Indian breakfasts of chai and perhaps vada. First, so first question is, what is vada for the listeners who haven't read this book yet? Okay. Um, vada is a deep fried sort of fritter type of snack or breakfast food and it's made of chickpeas or mung beans that are ground and then formed into a paste and then deep fried okay. and they're greasy goodness when fresh very crisp and tasty all right when not fresh they're not so tasty yeah yeah okay <laughs> yeah so i'm thinking of canada wide open spaces india's population and it seems to me like like the, that, the, the brightness you mentioned about the turbans and the colors and the steam and the smell of the diesel. Is it something that just hits you? And as, as exotic as it sounds, going for a visit, a holiday to India with all this, this, this color and sounds, was it a difficult adjustment coming? Like, just because I think of Canada, wide open mm -hmm. spaces, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, this was the second time I've been to India, the time I was, uh, and the first time I was there, I went for two months and stayed for three because I loved it so much. Wow. 
Um, but I would say that for a lot of people, it is a real trial. Okay. Um, I think people are overwhelmed by the sensory input. It is exhausting because you've got so many things going on around you and so many uh, noises, smells, colors coming at you all the time. Okay. Um, I think people are overwhelmed by the level of poverty that they might see right. or the pollution or the condition of animals. Um, it's all of those things. Just And it's, it's just a very different way of living. Yeah. Um, so I find when I arrive in a place like India, it's better to just set all your expectations of what we consider normal in Canada aside and just try to accept and be there. Yeah. Um, if you try to do things or expect things to be like Canada or the US, you're either going to be angry or you're not going to enjoy yourself. Okay. Um, and trying to protect yourself by staying in five class hotels uh, or, you know, five star hotels, I should say doesn't work either because um, some um, some people I know who've been the sickest have been staying at five-star hotels. Okay. Okay. Um, so I found, but I found, you know, sort of living more, a little more street level and uh, I've really enjoyed myself. The Indian people have been so gracious and kind everywhere I've gone. Um, and you also need to spend some time sort of watching and learning how to conduct yourself and to yeah. find ways to feel safe okay. in the crowds. Um, I'm fortunate because I'm pretty tall. So most men have been respectful. Yeah. Um, and because I'm a woman, most women will talk to me. But I do have friends who are very careful when they travel and have had great difficulty in India because they're little tiny women. Okay. So, you know, it, I, I think it just is uh, a different country, different yeah. way of being. Okay. 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 Good. Good. All right. Good. Great. That's good. There is action. And, um, oh my God, I felt like at times I was suffocating with an onion bag over my head. Okay. Yeah. But uh, was there any scene or scenes that were difficult to write, which after you like, which after you wrote it, it's like you had to come up for air. <laughs> <laughs> um, the most difficult scenes for me were the ones between Becca and Phoebe. And the last one was the most difficult of all. Okay. Um, it left me in tears and I sat there sort of sobbing. And it's funny because even during the editing process, every time I got back to that scene, I'd find myself teary eyed. <sighs> Um, during, you know, about that scene. So that one, uh, for some reason, really, really got me. That final scene with between Becca and Phoebe. Yeah. 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 Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Be Becca, Phoebe, and then the, the sort of last thing with, with Alice, too. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, we, and we will, we will, we will get there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this novel takes place in a different country. Okay, different culture. And our heroine, Phoebe, she just can't call the local RCMP. Okay. Um, so to me, that provides conflict for the character. And um, a bit of the, ch I thought a bit of a challenge for the author in terms of you just can't, she just can't pick up the phone and call the local RCMP. Okay. Um, using your own experience as an example, 
do you have words of so experience mean with with writing the scene mm -hmm. do you have words of wisdom for authors who are interested in situating a novel in a foreign country and not you know like their homeland uh well um i, I guess mostly i think it's a matter of doing your homework yeah. um but of course, if you're setting the story as I did with a foreigner having to deal with a foreign system, it's a lot easier. Um, you don't because you don't have to know the workings of the system in depth. You just have to know have a general sense of how it works and uh, maybe have had to touch you know um, touch bases with people who are um, a little more familiar with policing in general and also if you have a chance to talk to somebody about policing in in a foreign country or just reading about police situations in foreign countries reading local newspapers about <laughs> policing in foreign countries yeah. like Indian newspapers etc um, so you know you can have a general out outline of what would be strange or different for for your characters and then you can have them react to that yeah um which is what i did with phoebe here um but i am in awe of people like colin cotterell and uh and his coroner's lunch city a series set in uh, laos yeah um and i mean they're not super police procedurals but there's certainly more knowledge of the system there than than i had about the system in kochi and Elliot Patton's, Patterson's Inspector Shan novels um, set in, in uh, Tibet um, just amazed me. I'm so impressed. Okay. You know, the, the, the people I, I wish I could be, yeah. <laughs> well, the writers I wish I could be. But yeah. Well, Karen, I think you, you did it. This, this novel, you've, you did it. I mean, and I was thinking about it and just like that scene you read, you know the the reading you gave you know the the police is looking at phoebe like okay I, I didn't say this or i didn't say that right and it's just all of a sudden there's conflict there you know just because she's not at home yeah so yeah. okay so i have mentioned before that i enjoy listening listening to the alan alda podcast and uh i had to ask Barbara Fratkin this question, and I, I would like to ask it with you too. So he had a memorist author, Roger Rosenblatt, on his podcast, and they were talking about plotting. And Alan asked him if he plots, and I loved Roger Rosenblatt's answer. And he said no. And he basically says he was Alice going down the rabbit hole and I love that so I'm wondering Karen are you Alice <laughs> yes yes I'm an Alice <laughs> yeah. uh, I I haven't always been an Alice um, at, when I was starting to write novels I um, I found it was really helpful to I, I actually would plot out all the scenes on scene sheets and have them in a binder so that I felt comfortable with, I knew where I was going with the novel. And, but inevitably I found about, you know, a third or two thirds of the way through the novel would be taking off and it would be, the characters would be doing their own thing. And so I would throw out what I had. 
uh, or, you know, move away from the plot that I had set out for myself, which I think is is better because then the story is more organic, both to you and the and the reader. Um, Otherwise, I think the tendency might be for readers to see the author moving things around. Um, So in this book and um, most uh, all of them actually now I just sit down and I have an idea in my head and I start to write cool and um, you know it's in the the redrafting process that it's sort of the novel gets sculpted together you know I'll try something out and no maybe that doesn't work Um, or you know I'll just get a sense that no that doesn't feel right yeah. for these characters or this story and so I step back and change things yeah um so yeah I'm much more Alice going down the rabbit hole oh that's cool that's cool yeah I mean yeah the best the best books for me or the best short stories for me is when I'm writing and something comes out of my fingers and I hold I go holy cow that's the killer <laughs> and that's what happened with this book I had no idea who the killer was until the end yeah okay yeah. Because it surprised me too. <laughs> I got yeah. it did. Okay. Yeah. Um, now I know we've been hinting. I've been hinting, um, and I actually should, probably should have moved this question up, asked sooner. But we've been hinting at this scene mm-hmm. near the end. Um, this argument Becca, Phoebe's sister, has with Phoebe. Mm-hmm. Two sisters, both of them strong. It's a great argument argument valid points on both sides and I like books that show real relationships um it's not all sunshine and lollipops and I was just wondering was did you have any particular reason why you wanted to end the book on that note or just wanting that realism in there because it's it's you know I almost felt like a voyeur listening in on their conversation it was so you did it so well I was just like you know yeah well I didn't necessarily want to end the book that way but it had to end that way after after everything that had happened to Phoebe Becca and Alice yeah um Phoebe wants Phoebe wants to protect her family but she also wants to do what she deems right And Becca's primary reason for being is to protect and nurture her daughter. So when you put those two things in conflict, uh, those two perspectives in conflict, um, it had had to end like that. Yeah, yeah. And address, address, address the two characters' points of view. You know, yeah. like, I mean, yeah. Becca has Alice's teenage, uh, hey, first of all, the thought of taking a teenage girl out of the country. I've had a teenage, like I've had two teenage daughters, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm wondering, because this is brought up by Becca, mm-hmm. is Phoebe in a bit of a self-destruct mode? Like, is she... Is she I think Phoebe has some issues. Um, I think she's still really haunted by her inability to protect her students. Yeah. And as a result, she is driven to step in and help people. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes at tremendous cost to herself. Um, And she doesn't always think before she jumps in. 
And so maybe there is is something to the idea of her being self-destructive. Um, I think maybe it's, it's not so much self-destructive as being guilty that she survived. Okay. She wants to make up for what she did and didn't do yeah. with the whole school shoot, shooting. Um, but that d- doesn't necessarily make her self-destructive. I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, all I know is that she's trying to help. And sometimes that help comes at a cost and probably a high one for her. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So what do you hope readers come away with? after after reading your novel like what do you what are what are you it's like for me when i write a book my idea is i i want to give them a really good time okay so i i think that's what every author wants to do but is there more you want to give your readers well there's there's i mean in all of the these books there seems to be a little bit of environmental Mm -hmm tone to them so there is that but I mean my when I read your question I sort of went oh my goodness (laughs) um adventure (laughs) so I want somebody to be transported someplace else yeah um I want them to have a heroine that they can root for hopefully they do with Phoebe hopefully they like her enough yeah um uh an opportunity to escape from for um to some place far away while we're still confined at home during COVID um, but I agree with you, Joanna. I, I think a satisfying read, most of all, and that's what I'm hoping to give readers. I, I hope I I give them something that they want to continue reading about Phoebe. Yeah, and I think, like I know with myself, oh my gosh, I'm <laughs> I'll say it, I'm slopping together the the first beginning chapters of book three, and slop is a good word. <laughs> it's first draft stuff, okay, and um, with I also think with, like I know with my books, and I when I'm reading read your books, you care, you know, like I care ab- about these women. I care about Becca and Phoebe and Alice, you know, and that's like mm-hmm. like, like I say that scene. I felt like I was a voyeur listening in on this conversation, you know. So, well done, very well. Done. That was awesome. That you you know you get you get a reader, you take them out of their environment, like you said, we've been confined. You take them to another world and you have them caring for these people that you have created. That's, that's a that, very good, Karen. Awesome. Thank so, you. Thank yeah. you so much. So, all right. Favorite question. Mm-hmm. You find Phoebe by herself at a kiosk. What, and okay, let's, let's even set this up more. Okay. Let's say you see Phoebe at a kiosk. You two look at it. She looks at you. Your eyes meet. You walk up to her. What would you say to her or what would she say to you? What what would the conversation be? Well, um, assuming that there's some familiarity with her at all, I think I'd ask her for coffee. Because I, (laughs) I think we have our love of travel and nature in common. Yeah. Um, I'd probably want to encourage her to still travel because not all travel is like her trip to India. <laughs> um, 
And all travelers do stupid things or, uh, or do a stupid thing or two when they travel. Yeah. Um, the big thing is to live through it and not do it again. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I'd encourage her to, you know, in terms of um, her relationship with her family as well, because I'm, I'm sure she'd be very worried or, and upset yeah. Yeah. about, about her family. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So before I ask um, if there's anything you'd like to add, I'm just wondering, like, what other books, what what if, what other uh, books do you have coming out? Or because you are super busy. Yeah. Yeah. I have um, <clears throat> actually book. <clears throat> sorry. That's okay. Book three of the Phoebe Clay mysteries is already written, and will be out in April 2022. Um, so that's exciting for me. Uh, I'm about to start book four. So, (laughs) and, um, I know where it's taking place, et cetera, as well. It'll be, it'll, it'll be back home in Canada. The third book takes place overseas as well. Um, but, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm working, I'm about to work on that. I've been writing a bunch of short stories, um, and I also have another book that is uh, totally different. It's a police procedural set in Vancouver that I've sort of been thinking about tr- trying to traditionally publish, but uh, I am also thinking about maybe doing it myself in the near future, sometime in, in 2022. And it is a, a, a book all about memory. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. So okay. I'm... I, I really, it was a book of the heart. I've been trying to write it for a couple of years and I finally got a, the draft written to a point where I'm, I'm more or less happy with it. Yeah. Perfect. Not that you're ever fully happy with your books. <laughs> you always think you see, Oh, I should have done this. Or, or you think of something but, after and you're like, ah, oh, damn. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Okay. But, so yeah. anything you'd like to add, Karen, anything. Um, not at all, uh, other than thank you so much for the opportunity to come and talk about my book and my travels and my photography and so on, and uh, to wish you and um, all of your listeners well. Aww. And please try out Phoebe Clay's Through Dark Water and Beneath Malabar Nets. Yes. yes, yes, it's awesome. It is awesome. All right, listeners, if you like my podcast, please just pop on over to jcvartstudio.net, click subscribe. Karen's um, website's going to be on in the podcast show notes. And uh, everybody stay safe, stay healthy. We actually have sunshine. We've survived our two storm (laughs) bombs, right? Okay, Karen, we'll see you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye.